Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Man, I, I was just sacrificing everything for wrestling because I loved it. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. My guest today is Phil Davis. Phil is a former Bellator light heavyweight champion. He's also a former NCAA champ for Penn State, where he was a four-time All-American. Really fun conversation with Mr. Wonderful, and I hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to Nate Clements. You can find him on Twitter at LAW Coach Clem. Go Law Dogs, baby. Go Law Dogs. Thank you so much for tuning in, Nate. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to our online store at store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. We sold a lot of the OG t-shirts this week, folks. They come in blue, red, gray, and black. That's the OG t-shirt. Logo on the front, nothing on the back. Again, please don't feel obligated, but if you want to support the show, that's where you can do it. Keep up with the podcast outside of this episode by following us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, and you can always go to that lovely website, WrestlingChangeMyLife.com, for all past episodes. Now let's give it up. From Mr. Wonderful, Phil Davis. Peace! Phil Davis, Mr. Wonderful. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, good morning, good morning. What's going on? It's a lovely day here in Chicago. We're trying to fight through this winter, man. I know you're down in San Diego. What's what's the temperature? Hey, like I'm down, down here. I'm down here fighting for my fighting this winter too, okay? Listen, I woke up and it was like 57 degrees outside that's cold man all right so i if anybody feels you right now i feel you okay man i appreciate that especially if someone who's from uh, pa originally and they and i know you know how bad those winters can get out there man so <laughs> yeah it can, bad. it can get real bad your your empathy means a lot sir i appreciate it so you you're it. uh you're down in san diego Professional fighter, you know, obviously wrestled at Penn State, four-time All-American. I got to start, man, with just this epic duel we had last Friday. What are your thoughts on mm. that? Did you get a chance to watch it? Oh, yeah, you know I did. I watched it twice, and wow, I have so many thoughts. Let's just start um, at the top. So, hey, you know, obviously uh, Penn State didn't win the duel, and um, – uh, still a little bit gutted about that. 
I think um, we definitely had some things go our way, but man, we we lost uh, just lost a couple critical matches and uh, and uh, couldn't pull out the win. But I'll tell you what, um, uh, Mark Hall, man, like I feel for that young man. I saw him um, his freshman year. A um, mm-hmm. bunch of buddy of mine, we got together. We went out to Iowa, uh, and um, we we were at the dual meet where they pulled him out of his red shirt for his first college duel. And I remember the duel because it, it was heated. It was heated. Penn State was number one. Iowa was on the come up. And when it got to 174, uh, Hall came out. Place went crazy. Oh, they pulled him out of his red shirt. And Mark Hall comes out and gets like, I mean, there's, He's, I think you, I forget exactly who he was wrestling, but he was wrestling uh, an upperclassman, a senior. And uh, Mark strikes first blood. He gets the first takedown. And then the ref goes, two points. And then they have like a Matt side announcer, and he, you know, says it over the loudspeaker, two points, Penn State, takedown. And then the ref waves off the takedown. He's like, no, 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 you know what? No control. And I'm like, yo, you've already said it on TV. You said it uh, <laughs> like you said it in the stadium. You said it on the mat. Listen, when I hear two points and I'm in a scramble position, that's it. It's time to change. You know that I have to change my position after I get my points. That's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the game. And if if you just wave off the man's two, well, you know what? Now there wasn't any control. So, you know, it's like, and, and there's times when you can make a mistake, and, but not really at that level, man. You really need to say two when you're sure the guy has two. And if you make a mistake, that's it. You got to stand by it sometimes. <laughs> Especially it was, uh, Carver. Wild. Especially Carver. It, it was really wild how, how much time went by before he called called back the two points and um and i'll be damned if that wasn't the two points that mark hall needed to win that match <laughs> oh man and, and you know it's like there's it's like all these different scenarios and situations that run and happen and uh the craziest things seem to always happen in carver uh, i just see it year after year the one year we had big tens at carver and it was just the craziest stuff craziest stuff <laughs> calls that you wouldn't calls that you would never get anywhere else. And I mean that. I mean that. Nowhere else. I got to give it to Oklahoma. Kale and the and the guys, though, because they're sitting there, and some of the stalling calls were atrocious. And, and Kale and the staff, oh. they don't get up and go crazy. They just look at each other, and they almost laugh. They're like, if this is anywhere else. And I'm an Iowa fan, but if this is anywhere else, some of these match scores are drastically different. Yes. It... Uh, I truthfully believe that um, it's in many ways that that wrestling in Carver as a uh, you know as a Hawkeye, you can really set up a young wrestler to expect calls that he's not going to get anywhere else. He's not going to get those kind of calls at Big Tens. He's not going to get those kind of calls at Nationals. But you know, you're in, in, in <laughs> you're going to need those calls against uh, you know the top guys in the division when it really matters. You know. Absolutely. And so do you think Hall got carved again or that camera is just that good? Because it seemed like something happened to Hall early where he had that headlock, looked like it was over, and he was kind of bullying Kimmerer. 
then just slowly but surely, man, something happened. And Kemmerer started gaining momentum. And before you know it, it, it wasn't that close of a match at the end. Um, You know what? I didn't get a chance to finish that thought. <laughs> at least not the way I, I played. Um, Kemmerer, he is that good. But at the same time, I think there's, man, like, I, I feel like, and this is me, I, you know, I, I spent limited time around Hall. We've had a couple brief running past each other's. Um, so th- these are his thoughts, obviously. But, man, I feel like <laughs> he's just like, I'm just going to wrestle hard. And if I can't win because I'm going to get screwed, I'm going to get screwed. Just F it. You know, like, I, I really feel like he, he expects, like, it, it just seems like he's, like I've, re- I've, I feel like I've seen a, a fair, a representative sample, and uh, and you're right. Like I, I feel like I saw something happen. Uh, he was just like, God dang it, uh, the the calls are gonna start going the other way soon. Like, <laughs> but Kimmerer definitely uh, matched his intensity and uh, and with technique and and intensity and. Um, that he he but at the same time Kimmer really is that good. Yeah, I mean he's he's as solid as they come. Obviously a PA guy, so he was got that going for him. How many times did you wrestle in Carver back in the day? Uh, I think uh, at least two, maybe three. I feel like maybe there was a big tens there. While I was in school, but I don't think I wrestled that one. No, I don't think I did. Um, well, maybe I, maybe there was one there. Um, yeah, two or three, two or three, and uh, yeah, it's I mean it's as hostile as places you will ever see. It is uh, man, it is loud. It's noisy. I love how big the arena is. It's just, it is. Uh, it, it feels like they are on top of you <laughs> when you're on when you're on the bat. It's like they are hovering just above you. <laughs> I tell you, I grew up an Iowa fan. I, I I was born and raised about an hour from there in Illinois. But then in college, I kind of went through a phase where I didn't like Iowa because I'd go to the duels and I'd hear the fans calling for stalling. And in my head, I'm like, that's not even close to stalling. <laughs> and then on Friday, <laughs> Friday, I was there. My brother and I went. We were like third row. And again, I'm like, God, some of these fans are absolutely out of their mind when they're calling for stalling. Um, and so I, I kind of remembered why maybe I wasn't uh, the biggest fan of, of the Hawk fans back in the day. Because it's, it's tough to listen to if you're going in just looking for good wrestling. Um, it, it is. <laughs> It's just, uh, God love them, but sometimes they're absolute maniacs out there. I don't know what they're watching to, to call stalling the way they are. Um, it's great. Legit, this happened to me, and I feel like similar situations happened. I was, um, I was, I was up by like five points, and whoever the guy was took one shot, and that shot pushed me close to the edge. And I had just like worked him to the edge, and it was like one shot. I was close to the edge, stalling. I was like, "Yo, <laughs> yo, I'm literally killing this guy. Like, you can't, no, you can't just call stalling off a of one shot. 
he's supposed to shoot if he wants to take me down. Like, you, you can't call stuff off of one shot. What is wrong with you people? Like, yo, I got called for stolen. I, I took that personal. I was like, yo, I know when I'm tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm, I'm really working out here, man. Like, this stall call is attached to my feelings, guys. Just think about it. <laughs> Man, you're hurting the man's feelings here. I mean, I, I just uh, – sometimes I feel like they're trying to implement the push-out rule just with their own refs out there. Um, but I you know I know you mentioned it's a hostile place. You're uh, one of the top pro fighters in the world, and, man, you fought in some hostile places, one of which being Brazil. And I've heard just through past interviews that, like, the week – I don't know which time you went to Brazil when this happened, but like the week before, like a ref stabbed a player in Brazil, and this is like the environment you're going into. When was that fight, and what was the story there? Oh no, no, no! There, there wasn't a ref that stabbed a player. There was collectively, it was, there was madness taking place. It was absolute madness. So it was my second time going down to Brazil, going down to Rio. And, um, the week before I got out there, um, uh, there were, I don't, I don't know why, but I, I add different cities to my, you know, from going down to Costa Rica, I'll add that area of Costa Rica to my, to my iPhone. So I'll have the, the weather, you know what I mean? Just kind of just get a feel for what I need to bring them, the news and everything else. Anyhow. There was a soccer soccer match in which uh, a guy received a, a, a yellow or a red card, and to say the least, he wasn't very impressed about it. So he goes up to the referee, he punches him. He's like, you know, beating him up pretty good, I guess. And this referee has the wherewithal to reach down into his sock and conveniently located there, he found a knife, and. He stabbed the player. And uh, my understanding is it was one stab and the gentleman passed away. He collapsed and, and passed away. So um, that did not go over well in Rio with their soccer fans. They are, like any soccer fan, a little <laughs> very involved in that game. And uh, <laughs> so they stormed the field. And, and 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 quartered this man, which <clears throat> when I read this, I, I didn't fully understand what that meant. I, I I guess I've heard of it, but I didn't really internalize it. Um, they court well. I guess I should say I've never heard it used in this context with these people, like, like with, with people like that. Um, they quartered him, meaning they they cut off his arms and legs from the rest of his body. Um. <laughs> You've heard of like drawn and quartered. Yeah. Well, that's that's when you <clears throat> that that I am familiar with. Unfortunately, that's when you're, you know, attached to four horses and they pull you apart. That's drawn and quartered. They just quartered him, which made me think, you know, it was crazy. This was a crazy story, straight from jump, straight from jump. Ref gets punched. Then it gets even worse when he has a he has a knife in his sock. But what made these people cut him into pieces? Like, that's your go-to? Like, that was their go-to. And so anyhow, long story short, I, 
I found out about this, and then the very next week, I'm supposed to fly down to Rio, where this took place, fight Leota Machida in HSBC Arena. This man is a national treasure, okay? And I'm just like, man, like, I, you know what? I, <laughs> what? Why do I do this? Is it really worth all this? You know what I mean? Like, no, I, you know, if it comes down to getting courted, look, I'll take a dive, okay? Like, it's not that serious. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is out of control. This is out of control. Like, <laughs> is that one of the fights where you left the family at home? Uh, well, they, yeah, the family was definitely at home on this one, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then Some, you, but, you, you know, won that fight and it's like, what was the, what was the atmosphere like afterwards? Was it hostile? Did you have to run out of there or were they respectful? In the arena, it was, uh, it was not a happy time. No, we rushed straight out of that joint. It, I mean, it was, uh, walking in, there was like, there was this dude who became kind of famous. There's a dude who would like snatch your hat off while you're walking to the cage. And, and, uh, you know, at that time, you know, you have all your sponsors on and you have like a different sponsor hat on and they pay you to wear those hats. <laughs> this dude was like snatching money off of people's heads. And so he, uh, he was like doing it to everybody up and down the fight card, but he didn't get my hat. <laughs> he, he like lifted my hat up. I snapped it back. Pop. Got him. And so, uh, see, now now that he knows that I got him, I can never go back to Rio. He knows I know, you know? Anyhow. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy shit. I've heard that yeah. they even have, like, evacuation plans for fighters if the worst should happen. Oh, 100%. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Armed guards took us into the back, and I still didn't feel safe. Oh, my God, dude. What a, what a crazy place. And so, was this UFC or Bellator? This is UFC. So this is in the golden era when you could still have sponsors. All that's changed now, right? Oh yes, oh yes. And I'm sure well, we'll. Is, uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that stuff um, as we as we kind of move through this this conversation here. But you know, a lot of the folks listening to this podcast, Phil Davis, are wrestling fans. Obviously, uh, hence the name of the show. You're, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most successful Penn State wrestlers. You know, during your era, which is crazy to say, because right after you left, shit took off out there. It got crazy, <laughs> and they're still on got that crazy. run. Um, but you were a four-time All-American, national champ. Had some battles with Rosholt back in the day. But let's go way back before that, man. I mean, what kind of kid were you growing up, and where did you grow up? So I grew up in um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right in the capital, and. Um, Man, I, I tell you, I really wish I had gotten started wrestling um, a little bit earlier. I, I got started in middle school. I started in seventh grade, and um, my kind of my only friend at the time, uh, at least in school, his name was James Little, and he uh, he wanted to go out for the wrestling team. And um, I was like, ah, okay, cool. And uh, he's like, well, will you go with me? I mean, you don't have to practice or anything. Just, I just don't want to be alone. I don't know anybody on this team. Could be anybody out here. I'm like, all right, yeah, that sounds reasonable. I'll go. And so I show up at practice with him. He gets changed, and he's, you know, he's working out. And the coach comes over, and he's like, "Hey, man, you can't just sit on the side. You got to join in." And I'm like, ah, "I'm good, man. That's not the same for me." <laughs> And so he's like, "Nah, you you can't sit here. You you gotta you gotta you gotta work out." And so 
So I'm like, all right, man. I don't. I didn't even have a change of clothes. I remember I, was, I stole my brother's shirt because he had nice clothes. He had a job. I didn't. I'm in middle school, and uh, so I stole his clothes. And I'm working out like wrestling in his shirt. And I'm like, dude, this. I'm going to get beat up for this. I am going to get beat down when I get home. <laughs> and so I, I wrestle and I get all his shirt all dirty and I'm all sweaty and I get on the bus and I go home. And I remember I, I walked into the kitchen. I was telling my mom, like, everything that happened. She's like, man, you know, all right, you know, if you if you don't like it, then, you know, just finish the week and you can quit on Monday. I'm like, all right. I don't know how I got roped into going another couple of days. This was a Wednesday. And now my mom roped me in to Thursday and Friday. You know, like <laughs> I, I, ju- I told I just went. For emotional support. I didn't sign up for this. I never signed up for this. Not one time did I say I wanted to do this. And, um, yeah. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll, 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 all right, Thursday, Friday, and then I'm done. And, you know, truth be told, I, I literally forgot to quit on Monday. And so, <laughs> <clears throat> and that's a true story. I forgot to quit. So, <laughs> Uh, you know that's that's uh, that's very me. If you well, you know me. That's that's very me. To forget to quit, and uh, and here I am. How do you, how do you mean that's very you to forget to quit? Uh, it just I, I forget all sorts of things. Not even I remember unimportant things, but uh, you know I I just I'm very forgetful. I have to write things down. Man, it's good to know oh. there's two of us out there. I have a desk full of yellow sticky notes here. And some of my friends are convinced that I have some kind of memory loss because I'm writing things down all the time. But it's like the things I'm laser focused on, I'm good. But if not, I'm a space cadet like that. So good to know there's exactly. two of us out there. Exactly. Oh, there's there's more than just two. But you know, <laughs> I, you know, I take it as a blessing. I really do because um, it gives me, especially in in the in the, the lens of athletics, it gives me such uh, a great. I I believe it gives me an advantage because. You know, I have a very narrow, uh, you know, I have very narrow memories of when I was bad at wrestling. And a lot of guys over the years, I noticed, you know, they still remember those times where they got pinned and they lost this match or that match. And I'm like, I wrestled you before? I lost? Oh, wow. Okay. You know, (laughs) and I just go into that match you know, focus solely on that match and that wrestler at that time. And I, and I go out and I perform much better. And, um, and I, I just take that to my advantage. You know, I, <clears throat> I'm constantly, uh, constantly willing to try everything in the arsenal versus, you know, remembering every detail of every, every match I've ever been in. So you were definitely not one of those kids where before a tournament you could rattle off stats and scores of the guys you were wrestling. You were just kind of going out there having fun and ready to let it rip. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, no, I, and there were very few guys that were like that. I could tell you how a guy wrestled, but I couldn't tell you the scores and stuff like that. I could I could mimic their stance and how they move around, but I couldn't tell you <laughs> the score of, or who he beat or what year, any of that. What about a guy like I never know how to pronounce his last name, Win Michalik. Um Win Mihalik, yeah. Mihalik. So your senior year going into the finals, you were 0 and two against him. 
you eventually won. But even someone like that, were you kind of relaxed and not really thinking about it, or did you guys study film a lot before going into that match? Um, see, see, prime example, prime example. Now, I may be conveniently forgetting that I wrestled him. I think I, I, I may, I'm trying to think where I may have wrestled him. Maybe postseason, maybe postseason. Did I wrestle him during the year at Central Michigan? From, I, I didn't know. I got that from just listening to the broadcast. They go, uh, Phil is 0-2 against Wynn. I did notice, I think, one year you wrestled him at the Nationals, but I didn't look at all the dual results. But I was watching the broadcast last night. And it wasn't a close match. You you handled the match, but they go, yeah, he's 0-2 against them. And I'm like, shit, that's a pretty big deal. Going into your senior year against the guy you're 0-2 against, who's really you know, kind of tough and gritty, that Midwesterner type of wrestler. So um, so you definitely didn't study any film before that one. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, definitely did not. And I definitely <clears> – now, I approached that match uh, like he was a brand-new wrestler and, you know, expect – expect anything and just uh yeah no I, I i didn't i didn't i can i remember that match and uh you know my feelings going into it and hey you know you're owing two against him so far those were definitely not my thoughts at all i never thought that once i don't think i i don't think i knew that that's amazing to me. That is truly amazing that is, I, to me. I, I, I promise you, I did not know that. <laughs> and it doesn't surprise me because it does. you saying that, it doesn't surprise me. It does not surprise me. Uh, you know, Wynn was, uh, he, he's a great wrestler and he um, he's one of those guys that he was uh, immediately kind of, he was good. It wasn't like he came around his senior year and he started kicking butt. He was uh, uh, good all throughout. And, uh, yeah. What uh, were you thinking before that match? Do you remember kind of what your self-talk was and what your mindset was Saturday leading up to the finals? Right. So is in the first period, if I'm able to leave that first period winning, that is that is it. I'm uh, I'm always pretty dynamite in third period and um uh, I'm usually pretty tough on top, usually able to score some points and if not, I'm still able to ride you the whole time. Uh, so for me, the biggest, the biggest thing was just, uh, walking through how I'm going to get that takedown in the first period and outwork them in the first period. And then, you know, just keep that train running off the tracks, uh, in the third. So you're just focused on yourself at that point. What about, mm-hmm. uh, should the worst happen? Should a negative thought slip through there? Was that ever something you battled with or were you fairly optimistic going into big matches like that uh yeah still still very very optimistic i mean even even uh uh giving up that first takedown that that's something i've i've also dealt with throughout my career is that uh uh i was uh kind of a late bloomer as far as being the takedown guy always a tough mat wrestler but uh i didn't really uh, begin to take down the the toughest guys until my uh, probably my, my my sophomore year in college. So starting starting to match down two or three points was nothing. That was normal. That was normal. I uh, I remember very vividly. I wrestled uh, Clayton Foster from 
where do you wrestle? Okie State. And uh, Penn State was the number two team in the nation my senior year, and Oklahoma State was ranked number one. And we had a duel against each other down in Stillwater. And going into that match, my coaches never do this. <laughs> they came to me and I feel, listen, we need you we need you to pin. Like don't <laughs> don't play around this time. We need you to pin. Like there's no other way. We you have to get a pin. You cannot win this match. You have to get a pin. All right, man. All right. All right, I can do that. And so um, I get into this match, Clayton, and, uh, man, he's, you know, tough and physical, and I don't think he was ranked very high at the time, but I think he all, I'm pretty sure he All-American that year. And um, he took me straight down to my back in the first, like, the first 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, I roll off my back, and then we go out of bounds. And I just remember, I look up at my coaches, and I'm like, all right, guys, calm down. Calm down now. Calm down. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I stand up. I stand up, and then uh, I take him down, and then I, I score, uh, I think, a set of bat points of my own and score another set, and then I eventually pin him. <laughs> but... That's just like, yeah, you know, that's very. I don't want to say super typical, but that that wasn't out of the, that wasn't anything that rattled me. Coach Sutherland is absolutely losing his mind in the corner at this point. Oh <laughs> yeah, oh uh, he's he's like he's seeing the whole national title slip away. Like no, let's you gotta pit this guy. Now, uh, at this point, was. Aaron Onspach on the team, or was he an assistant at this time? And he'd already graduated. I know he's one of your, he's one of your boys. Obviously, he helped us with this chat here. Uh, was he around mm-hmm. at that time, though? Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he had already graduated, and he was uh, sticking around, assisting, grad assisting. So yeah, so that was my senior year, and he wrapped up my junior year. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get him a medical six year. He is as I mean, he's the the perfect candidate for it, but. I think it literally came down to one match, and uh, and that was the reason why he he didn't get his medical six here. He should have been there for that our our third place run. And had he been on that team, goodness sweeps, man, another guy in the national finals that that had to be that probably would have clinched it. But that could, um, yeah, that could have been a national title. I mean, that, again, this is before the the Penn State era started because the next year, I think. You guys fell to the top ten, but that senior year of yours, freaking third place on the on the trophy stand, first time in a while for Penn State. At first that time. time in quite some time. Oh yeah, and um, oh and and Aaron, uh, he had I think he split like he'd gone like two and one against uh, Dustin Fox from Northwestern, who eventually became the champion that year. So. I mean, I mean, I like my chances with I'll take Aaron over anybody in the nation. He's he's just such an athlete, such an athlete. I mean, he's for I mean, and I say that because as a big guy, I mean, he's just so darn quick and powerful. I mean, I I don't think at any point I could really stop Aaron's double leg. I mean, really, <laughs> he just kind of he just yeah, man, yeah. He he would just run just run straight through me, and I'm like, golly. 
God, I just it was just very hard to stop. He didn't he didn't have to always get to your legs, but he would always run it down. <laughs> he would just run it down. I'm like, God, can't do anything to stop this. Couldn't be a nicer guy either. Like one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. I randomly met him on a plane flying to Detroit one morning for work. And I saw his cauliflower ear. I sat down next to him. And next thing I know, he's like, yeah, I got, he didn't say this, but I looked him up. I'm like, shit, that guy got second for Penn State. That's, that's pretty cool. And we, uh, we've been friends ever since, man. He's a good dude. Oh yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a great dude. A really great dude. Speaking of cauliflower ear. I I recently got my very first piece. I have I have like I have the best I have the best ears for for my head. I have a big head, but I have fairly small ears, and uh, I'm gonna sit back really tight on my head. So I never never got cauliflower ear until about a week ago. I have like a I don't know a little tiny tiny little bubble behind my ear, and. Uh, and I was like, man, like this, I don't even, I don't even know what this is. I think I'm going to go to a doctor. Like this isn't like maybe a, a quarter of CC worth of fluid. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I don't know. I, I need to get this drained. I'm an adult. Okay. Who nobody gets freaking cauliflower for the first time at 35. <laughs> well, I saw that you just got the new pair of Rudis shoes. And so I'm like, man, is he still scrapping? Like, like a wrestling practice? I mean, I'm sure you do as part of your training, but uh, how much are you guys wrestling down there at Alliance? Yeah, we, so we're wrestling at least a couple days a week. And um, I'm also coaching uh, high school wrestling at the local high school here uh, in my area, so in San Diego. So I'm uh, these days I'm, I'm wrestling quite a bit. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. I used to – go down to San Diego a lot for work and at the time Poway was was really good. Are they still power out there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those dogs. Yeah, they uh <laughs> they got uh they have a great program and they have really good roots. Uh so they have like a, a great feeder program and great youth program. So yeah, they're they're man, they're they're just a perennial powerhouse. But I will tell you, uh, you know, the uh, the wrestling club we're working with, uh, they're coming along and uh, they we're really, really pumped because they just beat Poway recently at a at our youth tournament. So wow, we're we just keep an eye out for the SoCal Grapplers, my friend. We're on, we're on the come up. Will do, brother. Will do. Um, so are you a California man now, staying in San Diego for the foreseeable future? Uh, for the foreseeable future, and I say that solely because my wife, uh, she's like born and raised in San Diego. Oh, you're you're never leaving, just, man. You're never leaving. She's just not. She's not gonna do it. No, she's just not. She's never seen this. And this and this is true. She has never seen snow fall from the sky. So I'm like. Oh. She's not missing anything. Um, she's. She ain't missing shit. Let me tell you right now, it sucks. Um, I w- I lived in California for five years and moved back to Chicago about two two years ago. And whoo, man, this is the time of year what really gets you. February, March, just it's not even cloudy yet. It's just a gray haze in the sky for months and months and months. And we're in the thick of it right now, Phil Davis. Oh man, oh man, that wind will cut you in half. Ooh. Now you're in San Diego because you know, that's that's your fight camp, and I want to transition to your 
uh, MMA career a little bit here. So you, you're 35. I mean, God, I feel like you've been fighting forever. You were in the UFC for 12, 13 fights, and then Bellator, and then you just re-signed with Bellator. Um, let's go back to the the origin story, though. I heard that that like at a young age you had an encounter with Rainy Couture. At a, I don't know if it was at a yeah. UFC event or what, but he put some hands on your collar, and rumor has it that's how you got interested in MMA. You know, correct me if I'm wrong there, but is that the uh, is that how it all started for you? Well, so I definitely met the uh, Randy the Natural Couture at uh, it was actually at the U.S. Open, and um, so a bunch of buddies of mine we would always pull our pull our money together in college because. None of us could afford a pay-per-view. And, uh, and uh, we watched the fights, you know, all get together and watch fights at a buddy's house. And um, that was our routine. And, you know, honestly, it, it, I used to always say, man, these guys are crazy. These guys are crazy. And then uh, some, sometime, uh, I guess, you know, I just watched it too much. And come my senior year, it stopped looking crazy. And uh looked like a viable idea. So be careful watching MMA because you <laughs> may grow to like it, maybe too much. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, so I met Randy Couture, and uh, I was like, dude, I can't, do you mind if I get a picture? So, and he's a uh, he's super cool guy. Um, you know, he's kind of a man of few words, but, you know, all very encouraging. And, and, um, and so he's like, yeah, man, you know. So I, I take my picture. And I'm like, oh, Nick, do you mind? You, do you mind if you just kind of like grip me up just a little bit? Like, ah, yeah, I want to be able to tell a crazy story with this. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so he's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. So he just grips me up by the collar, <laughs> and we didn't script it at all. He just get, gripped me up, and I'm like, ah, ah, don't hurt me. <laughs> uh, it was great. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's definitely one of the people who I um. Well, of course, we, we followed all the wrestlers. Anybody who was a college wrestler um, or international wrestler, we, we definitely followed those guys um, throughout their MMA career. So we watched a lot of Randy Couture's fights and, um, and Josh Koscheck and, you know, anybody uh, doing big things in MMA. And yeah, that was pretty much it after that, after college. Man, but even back then, it was still pretty underground. I mean, it wasn't as underground as the early 2000s, but it wasn't anywhere close to mainstream like it is now, let alone on ESPN. And you've seen it grow just leaps and bounds over the years. How did you get down to Alliance, and what was kind of your first introduction to uh, to the UFC like? What was that experience like? Oh, man. So when I um... – uh, so after I graduated, I started, I stuck around Penn state and I was training and, um, got a manager and, um, former Penn state wrestlers, Chad Dubin, amazing guy. He just, um, he's a serial entrepreneur. So he, um, started managing me and, um, he's like, well, if you're going to be here for a while, I might as well, you know, get you some training. So he, he bought a local gym right on college. I have uh, and Penn State, and um, we turned it into an MMA gym, and we started running kind of like wrestling camps, but for MMA. And um, at one of the one of the camps, uh, we invited Dominic Cruz, and he uh, he came out, and he was uh, you know we had a bunch of little guys, and he would spar with them, and um, 
Dominic Cruz was on his deathbed. He got so sick. And, uh, was, and so I took him into my house. Paul Bradley kicked him out of his house. Yeah, you can get on Paul Bradley if he's ever on the show. Because he, he kicked Dominic Cruz out of his house. He was so sick. I was like, nah, man, I'll take care of you. And so, um, <laughs> so I'm taking care of Dominic. And he's like, oh, man, thank you so much. Like, uh, this is as sick as I've been in, as long as I can remember. And you, you just looked out for me. Like, hey, you know, no worries, man. And uh, And so... He tells me, hey, I have a friend in San Diego named Brandon Vera who, man, he would benefit from, you know, wrestling your caliber a lot. And, you know, you could work with him in your stand-up, and you guys would be great training partners for each other. So I was like, all right. And um, shortly after that, um, Brandon reached out and said, you know, hey, I'll, you know, I'll pay for your flight, and I'll put you up, and I'll take care of you while you're here. So I was like, all right, cool. So I came out and I I knew nothing of Brandon Vera. I didn't know who he was and or I didn't know anything. I just pat my bag and said, "All right, I'll check it out." And of course, San Diego is awesome, and Brandon Vera turned out to be a, a amazing training partner. He's a, he he has a wrestling background. He uh, he wrestled for uh, for Air Force, and uh, um, he wasn't necessarily a world beater at wrestling, but afterwards he got into Muay Thai and. Man, he he was he's just he was exactly the training partner I I hope to get. He was just somebody who could um, challenge me in wrestling, but then also kick my butt and 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 grappling and and uh, you know and stand up every single day, you know. So I mean, I, I it, it was a long time before I got a solid win against him. So and and that that to me felt like. That that was where I needed to be, um, so it, I I came out visit had a great time and um, shortly after that I was you know packing my bags for good moved to San Diego. So Dom Cruz is on your death is on his deathbed at your apartment. I can just like picture him on the couch like reaching up like you got to train with Brandon Vera and <laughs> so it's like he's on his deathbed at your house. He mentions this guy's name. You have no idea who he is. You fly out there. You guys are scrapping, and you're like, "Shit, this is where I belong." And next thing you know, you move to San Diego. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. God, yep. That's awesome. And now you're a, you know, you're a staple in the Bellator circles. I wanted to ask you about this because I'm, you know, legitimately curious. What makes Scott Coker such a fighter's manager? Like everything you hear about the guy, people love the guy. If you're a fighter, um, and kind of what he does for for the guys. Uh, you know, he's just uh, he's just very straightforward. Um, there's not as much politics when you're fighting with Scott. Um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, you appreciate that, and uh, he's very professional. Um, I, I I just come to really really uh, enjoy the way he runs his uh, his programs, and uh, you know I've I've been a fan of Scott Cover since he was running uh, Strike Force. And I was in the UFC at the time, and I was like, "Man, this this guy's all right." <laughs> you know, it's uh, you regardless of of uh, you know, win or loss. You know, when you're out there, you're fighting. You're you're really creating art. You know, and um, 
most people just aren't even able to comprehend what is going on, uh, let alone the tactics and the techniques that you're using. And, uh, you know, he, he's not one of the guys that wants to talk bad about his fighters if they lose. You know, he just, you know, he'll talk good about the guy who won. And that's, that's fair. <laughs> right. That's fair. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I say all the time that um, when, you, when you look at MMA as, as an art, you know, then it, it really gives you kind of the appreciation that you have for it, you know. If I walk into an art museum and say, hey, this, why is this Jackson Pollock painting so expensive? Why is it worth $100 million? And they could give me some, you know, it, I was going to say excuses, but uh, <laughs> they could give me some reasoning and some rationale why that would be true. <laughs> why that would be true. And at some level, I'm thinking in my head, this is like scattered paint on the canvas. I feel like I can do this. But if I tried, I, I also know that I couldn't truthfully reproduce something that he did. I know that. Right. But I, it still feels like something that you could do. And no one in art will be like, oh, this is a piece of crap. You know? But that's, that's just not the, the way people talk about mixed martial arts. And a lot of people have, you know, had some fights so whether it be on the street or what have you, and they feel like, oh, yeah, I could do this. And that's the furthest from the truth. (laughs) (laughs) You you could not, sir. This is different. (laughs) And and so uh, Scott just does a – he does a great job of, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, promoting his product and uh, talking great about his fighters. And, uh, you know, you you don't have to talk bad to talk good. Yeah, it – it seems like it's all, it's all love and positivity most of the time coming out of that organization. And, you know, I've read that you're super analytical and you talked about fighting being an art and how you see different things. I mean, I don't know if you've had the, the 10,000 hours of MMA training that you thought you'd have by this point. I think the article I read, it was like 2012. So I think you're there, but, but man, I think one of the things I'm most curious in is what do you know now that coming into it as a wrestler, you just had no idea or you look at guys like Bo Nickel or Kassar, it sounds like they're going to be coming in uh, to MMA and like you've, you're a vet and you've had that 10,000 hours of MMA training. What are some of the biggest things that you noticed that you had to shore up or that you didn't really expect coming into the fight game almost a decade ago now? Um, you know, the, the whole rules, uh, you know, the the rules of mixed martial arts are flimsy at best and very flexible in in, <laughs> in actuality. And uh, coming from a wrestling background, you know, the rules are, some of them are subjective. And even when I feel like they can be bent, um, they certainly can't be broken. So if I'm wrestling and this this kind of doesn't even matter. Let's say that we'll say we're in Carver Hawkeye and I get lifted and slammed. You know, that that's a very you know, in wrestling we understand, hey, you know, you slam the guy and if he doesn't stand up, you lose the match. That those are the rules. Those are the rules. You know, we don't always agree, but those are the rules. And uh not so in MMA. You know, the the rules are um, very, uh, I mean, even more subjective than, 
than wrestling. Uh, the I mean, and it, the the rules are they're just so 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 pliable. Fluid at best. Every fluid at best, and you know, everything from like weigh in. You know, if you weigh in overweight, one tenth of a pound, any measurable amount over the stated amount, you sir are overweight. You will not be competing this weekend. That is it. <laughs> that is it. There, there's no oh, but this or oh, but that or there's there is none. There, there is none. There's none to be had, and um, and I like that. Everybody respects that. Not one person. I mean, not one person in the sport thinks that you should get a match if you didn't weigh in exactly zero zero on the dot. That's just a given. And in uh, mixed martial arts, it's like, oh, you know, the guy weighed in six pounds over. You know, let's see if we can still make the match. What? What six? What? <laughs> what are you saying? How is what that even possible? What? Yeah, and and what's crazy is like people will say, "Oh man, this guy weighed six pounds over," and I, I, you know, so and so was probably just scared to take the fight anyway. I'm like, six pounds? You you don't even know six pounds? You didn't try. You didn't try to make weight six pounds over. I mean, half pound over. You tried to make weight. You missed six pounds. Like you, you know, that's that's not. Your definition of trying and my definition of trying are, are, are wildly different, wildly different, you know, and uh, and and so that's that's a big part of it. And um, well, even with like eye pokes, part, though, it's like, see, I was getting to that. Yeah, it's like, is that is that a point or is it not a point? You know, it, it, you got to get poked three times in the eye before you get a point, which you know that. You need your eyes to wrestle. I mean, to to fight. You know, there's there's not three. I there's no give up three eye pokes, man. It it just doesn't exist. Like, what planet do you live on where a guy can get violently poked in the eye three times and still maintain accuracy? You know, it, it's or even uh, you know shots to the nuts or grabbing the fence or. I mean, you can just name any rule, and it's just, I guess you shouldn't do that, but you can definitely do it. (laughs) (laughs) There's just no, um, or even, uh, you know, testing positive, you know, that those fights get moved to a a no contest, which I I think, again, is just absolutely crazy if, if two guys are competing. Two guys are competing, and one of them fails his drug test. It is absolutely obvious who should become the winner, to me at least. And in MMA, it's like, well, let's just call it a no contest. <laughs> no, no contest? <laughs> what, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's crazy to me. So, you know. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, you kind of have to lower your expectations. Um, even, uh, on the, on the other side of the athlete side and at a wrestling tournament, weigh-ins will be conducted absolutely on time, if not a minute or two early and MMA, you know, 
I remember my first fight in the UFC. Oh, man, let's go back to my first fight. They said weigh-ins were going to be at four. And so, I, you know, I'm cutting some weight, and I get there. I'm at there. I'm there, 345, maybe 330. At 4 o'clock, I'm looking around, and there's maybe another guy in the room, maybe one man out of the whole fight car. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? We're in the wrong room. And so I'm I'm getting upset. I'm calling people, and they're like, "No, you're in the right place. Um, I guess we'll we'll start here shortly." And start here shortly? It's ten after. What are you talking about? Start here shortly? What? What? And so you're not even here. You're not even here. Then come to find out, get there. The commission they show up at like 4:45. They wanted everybody in the room by four. The commission was late. Wins got started at like 5:30. Then they went and order the fight card. I mean, you didn't wait until at least six o'clock, six fifteen. And I'm like, yo, wow. how is this? How are you doing this? And it's just so many. I mean, it's just it's just just very different. I've heard very that different um, from uh, the the practices too, though. Like I've heard a uh, I can't remember who it was. Someone on the Joe Rogan podcast. They're a wrestler. And they said that the first time they went to, oh, I remember who it was. It was Askren at, going out of Florida to American Top Team. Like he shows up at two o'clock. His practice starts at two. Guys start rolling in at like two forty-five. I think it was like it was a jujitsu class. Like the Brazilians are kind of rolling in a little late. Next time they start at two, he's like, "What the hell's going on here?" Um, I don't know if it's a little bit different down at Alliance, but I've heard that's another big difference too. Is just not the structure of the practices and the workouts are kind of a little bit looser in that sense. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, we 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 started we we go at ten thirty, and we uh, I mean, I would say typically practice starts around ten forty. So we're <laughs> we're not we're still not uh, you know wrestling prompt, but <laughs> we certainly we're not uh, the the. The, you know, start an hour later, crew. And we 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 typically are done before before noon. So, uh, yeah, that that's we're, we're we're fairly fairly we start very close to time, which is again that's unusual for you know other people in our area. Those they can they'll show up later. Oh, I thought practice was at ten thirty. It was. <laughs> 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 it, it was. <laughs> we started, dude. We're going. Does uh. Yeah. Does the man himself, Jocko Willenick, does he ever roll in to the gym you train at? Have you ever sparred with that uh, absolute beast of an individual? I know he's down in San Diego. Uh, so he he's mostly at uh, Victory, so he's across town. But, uh, yeah, you know, I've rolled around with him a bunch over the years. And, uh, man, I didn't even know he's just like international celebrity um, that he is. Un- until uh, probably you know a couple years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I um, ran into him. I was coaching this girl uh, at a wrestling tournament, and uh, I show up, and Jocko's there with his daughter. And I'm like, hey, you know, how you doing, bud? And this and that. We're talking about uh, you know the fight game, and wished him well, and got on my way. And somebody else is like, "Dude, was that Jocko?" I'm like, "Yeah, it was Jocko. You know him too." And because I only know him from, you know, 
you know, jujitsu practice. He's yeah. yeah, class. I'm thinking he's a regular dude, you know, former former, you know, seal, you know, just yeah, that I mean that's a big deal. But not something that you should know his name for. And uh like, no man, he he has like the, the second, third best podcast out there. I'm like, really? Oh, that's that's very big. <laughs> and, and so I look up his podcast and before I get to his podcast I see his books and I'm like, New York Times bestseller, Jacko. Hey, all right. Yeah, I mean, just complete complete shell shock. So yeah, I I read his books. And I'm like, man, this guy's the man. He he's the real deal. He just looks so just tough, dude. Like just tough as freaking nails when you're going with them. And I know you've you've rolled with you know the best there is, and you've you survived four years of a di- five years of a Division One college schedule. But I mean, that guy just seems like he's got that old man strength to the nth degree. Oh yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. No, no, the looks, his looks aren't deceiving at all. He is exactly as strong as he looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he, he's just, uh, he's a hard worker, uh, obviously. And, uh, and he's, uh, I, but I tell you, uh, out of everything that you may know or, or should know about Jocko, here is what I, I, I will tell you about him. Um, that I think is uh, important. He said to me a long time ago, and this he's kind of stuck with me. And later on, after I read his book, um, Extreme Ownership, it, it has really resonated with me. So he he uh, he said to me, um, mind you, he's just a guy in a gym at this time, right? He's just a dude, and um, it obviously he he's really good at grappling, but. Um, uh, I was getting ready for a fight, and um, it was early in my UFC career, and I was probably two or three fights deep and all wins. And he said, um, "You know, Phil, uh, I've seen a lot of guys get to where you are right now, and man, just whatever you do, just don't stop. Just don't stop working hard, showing up early." And uh, don't stop working, man. You, you, you're doing great. And uh, just just don't stop. And I was like, all right. You know, I didn't, I didn't plan on stopping. But, <laughs> you know, I, later on I look back and I'm like, man, no one else re- gave me that sort of encouragement. Just a reminder of, hey, you know, other people have been here before and, and now they're not. Uh, you know, just keep keep doing what you're doing and, uh, you know, if you want to get to the top and, uh, later on when I'm reading his book, extreme ownership and, uh, man, this guy is, uh, you know, this, it, it, the, it's great that he says, you know, to, you know, to be, he, he says that he's a great encourager on paper, but he, uh, he truthfully is, uh, he's definitely, uh, a guy who practices what he preaches and, uh, he is, uh, he's definitely a leader and, uh, someone who who lifts up the people around him and uh, i really appreciate that about him do you think he meant don't stop being you don't stop like actually training or okay don't stop on your on your values and principles as you kind of skyrocketed into the limelight uh you know he just meant you know uh you know just kind of falling into the party culture and right you know uh reaching reaching a certain level of visibility and uh uh you know, 
failing to to continue to work hard to to get to the next level. Yeah, and obviously, with the wrestling background, I assume it just you know it comes with a humbleness that a lot of people who haven't done it don't have, um, and that's probably why you've had the the career you have. Phil, I know we're winding down here. I just have three quick questions. These are more like kind of rapid fire questions. Then we'll let you go. Is that cool? Yeah. Fire them off. First question is back to the NCAA match your senior year when you won it. The announcer said that one of your hobbies was sewing and they showed a patch that you had sewed on your shoe. The other announcer didn't believe him. So I got to know, man, true or false. Are you someone who sews and did you sew that patch on your shoe back in 2008? Um, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, Do you just mess uh, with them? seamstress by, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I did, so it was like a big deal at, uh, at Penn State because, uh, um, I'm, I was, at the time I was the only one on the team that wore 14s, right? And so, um, everybody had the, uh, uh, everyone, you know, head to toe Nike and, I had gone through maybe two two pairs of shoes that year and and so they were all out of fourteens in the equipment room. And so my co- and this is like, you know, we had one dual meet left and then big tens and nationals. So my coach is like, dude, you gotta all right, you know, either way, whether we order a pair of shoes or, or what, um, what do you wanna do? And I was like, Man, I hate those Nike shoes to begin with. Um, not, not Nike shoes in general, but just that wrestling shoe that they gave us that year, that, that particular one was not my favorite. And, um, and so he was like, all right, Phil, just get whatever you feel comfortable in and I'll just deal with the administration cause, uh, cause they're going to call. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went, I went down to like a local wrestling store and got a pair of shoes and they were a six, they were kale. And, um, and so I, I, he's like, you know, anywhere you can just take off a six, wherever you can, we're going to have to cover it up. So, so we don't get in trouble with the administration. So I sewed over, over top of Kale's name and then put my name on top. So, <laughs> 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 I was hoping Kale didn't feel too slighted. I don't think he cared, but, uh, yeah. So, but you know, Hey, I, I, I'm doing it for the team, you know, it's, but, uh, yeah, so I, I did sew a patch on my shoe, but, uh, I'm nothing like a seamstress. Got it. It just kills me. Right. Cause you do these, uh, you do this, this interview right before you, uh, after you, uh, complete the semifinals and they interview all the finalists and they're like, tell us something we don't know about you. I'm like, man, I don't know, man. Like if you, if there's something you don't know, chances are, I don't want you to know it. Right. <laughs> right. Like how, how do I tell you something you don't know? Like, I don't, uh, like you're okay. expecting so to get vulnerable right after the, one of the biggest matches of your life. You're sitting down in an interview chair and somebody right. don't even knows like, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I just did what I do, and uh, I gave him uh, <laughs> gave him something funny. And of course, you know my mother. So my mom is like, you know, she's my grandmother was like, uh, she was a professional seamstress. She was amazing. She could she could do anything with uh, with the needle and some thread. And um, and so growing up, we would have uh, some singer magazines and like different, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, what are those called? Like the patterns, whatever. My, my grandma, she could she could make you a new shirt. Just you just tell her what you like. And so um, that that those sort of things were around the house. So I just <laughs> it's like yeah, man. I got a I got a sewing circle at the house. And, you know, we just uh, get together every Thursday night and we do our thing. <laughs> and they're like, "No way!" Like, yeah, man, that's that's real. That's real. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this guy's crazy. This man is crazy. You'll have to go back and watch that match just to hear the audio of the broadcasters, because the one guy is convinced that you're dead serious. The other guy is like, there's no way he's serious about the sewing circle on a Thursday night. Oh yeah. I remember that. It was funny. No, I think, I think he's just having some fun. I don't think he is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wrestlers are always so uh, serious, you know, it's good to have someone like you come through and and lighten it up a little bit. Oh yeah. Well, wrestling is very serious, especially, you know, when you got those big matches on the line, people are only, People are very rigid, and they're just super focused on that match. Right. Well, I, I had to know, man. Um, next question is, will we ever see you versus one John Jones? I know there's been some commentary back and forth over the years. Obviously, you're in a different organization, but if you're a betting man, do you think we ever see you versus John Jones? Ooh, man, I would love that. Um that I mean, it's 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 so hard to say. I I would love to uh, to compete against John Jones, um, and uh, I think as the sport grows bigger, there will become uh, more of a need to have that cross promotion, uh, you know, fight. And um, I, I think that's something that may still be a possibility down the road. But uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome if it were to happen. I, I, I can't say for sure whether that will happen, uh, you know, before I'm done competing, but uh, right. I, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out either. I'd love to see it happen, man. And the, the last thing that we always wind down with, it's the name of this podcast, you know, how did wrestling change your life? Or maybe better for you is how has wrestling enabled you to have a successful fighting career? Or however you want to take that. That's how, usually how we sign this thing off. Yeah, man. So, man, wrestling uh, absolutely changed my life because, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of things as a kid you just don't know about yourself. You're still growing and learning about yourself and uh, about life. And I'm kind of an obsessive person. When I do something, I I really I I really do it. And um, I just hadn't found that thing. And school wasn't that thing for me. And uh and, uh, you know, it's crazy because I, I really do uh, enjoy learning. And now as an adult, I, I enjoy learning. Uh, and uh, school just wasn't just wasn't that thing. And um, but wrestling, wrestling was. And, um, and uh, you know, if you want to be a, uh, if you want to be a wrestler in, in college and, and in high school, you, you got to keep your grades in at a reasonable place and that was uh that was enough of the re- enough reason for me to uh be a little bit more serious in school but with that um you know i i learned so much more about myself i before long i i um man i, I was just sacrificing everything for wrestling because i loved it um i would you know 
worked out late at night, early morning. I mean, I didn't miss a practice. I would get at extra practices. I would, uh, I had a wrestling club that I would join uh, locally. Me and Aaron Osbach, uh flew down to Disney Duels and kicked butt on that travel team. Then I joined another team out in Pittsburgh with Jake Herbert and uh, and uh, oh, man, Mark McKnight and. Uh, man, we, man, I was just wrestling with the best guys, and it was just my, I just any way I could keep doing it, I just, I was in love with the sport, and um, I remember uh, I had reached a level that was, you know, for most people it would be a little, a little much, but not so, not really for me. So I was, I would get up and I would need to lose weight, but I, I just needed to to run. And um, it was uh, snowing out, and snow was, I think, it was probably up to my knees. Wow. But it didn't matter. I um, I got out, and I was running, and I had this, this sweet run I used to do. I lived uh, right on State Street in Harrisburg, and that's right in, right in front of the Capitol Rotunda. So I would run about, uh, about a mile down to the Capitol building, and I would run up around the Capitol steps like Rocky, and then I would run down the steps and, and run back to my house. It was a nice little two mile loop and I would get home at like two in the morning and my mom waited for me and she was like, you can't, you can't do this anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you, you just can't like go running at, at, at 2 AM. It's dangerous. And I'm like, man, anybody out at 2 AM is not, they're not going to look for the, the closest guy to, mug who's a who's just running like why were you out at two in the morning why yeah you were just felt the need to get out there um you know it you know i would get home from wrestling practice around seven and then uh you know eat a little dinner and do some homework and i don't know i don't know man you know there was just no time there was no time it's kind of proof of my like uh, obsession with the sport and how I felt about it, there was just no time that was off limits. There was just no time that I thought I could not dedicate to wrestling. And so, uh, yeah, so it, it it just, I did it once and it felt good and I just never stopped. I just kept doing it. And, um, um, yeah, so my mom bought a treadmill <laughs> for the house <laughs> and everything else I needed. And, um, you know, it, it, it was great to have that kind of support, uh, you know, for my parents, like, you know, she, she saw something that she didn't like and she was like, All right, cool. Under normal circumstances, I wouldn't spend any that. And treadmills at that time were fairly expensive. So I knew my mom, you know, she, she really, she really meant it. And she knew that there was no way to stop me from running at that time. <laughs> like, there was, there was just no way of talking me out of it. And, uh, she just fed by crazy by getting me a treadmill and, uh, you know, there you go. I'm back at it. You were possessed, man, and I couldn't think of a better way to wind this down. Um, dude, that that was awesome. Phil Davis, you're a bad man. Can't wait to watch you again. Thank you very much for taking the time today to chat. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate you. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.